And welcome back in another edition, Stripe Show Podcast. Thank you for making us part of your day, PGA Championship Week. We're all over the place. Great lineup this week, but I've been looking forward uh, to this one. Catching up with this guy uh, next to me here over there in England, just finished up at the Belfry, the British Masters on the European Tour. Nice little finish. Had the lead going into Sunday. Finished T11, two-time winner on the European Tour. Eddie Pepper, how you doing, man? I'm good, Travis. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, I uh, well, I was had a disappointing final day last Saturday. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't at my best. It's fair to say. Um, but you know, as you mentioned, some some better stuff and uh, some some encouraging signs. I, I would put it that way. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, you stepped aside so Richard Bland could get in and get his first win. I mean, that's very noble of you, and I'm sure he appreciated that. But that, that had to be pretty cool, right? I mean, this is a guy that's been at this for a long time, 478 starts. He's 48 years of age. I think I read he turned pro uh, in 1996. Um, you know, geez, I was a freshman in college. I mean, this guy's been at it for a while, and he gets his first win. That had to be a pretty cool moment there. Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, whenever when, when a guy wins is that old, I, I always love it just because it shows – what a great game golf is first and foremost you know all the talk of these young guys who hit the ball 320 yards through the air and then you get guys like Richard Bland or Lee Westwood or whoever it might be uh, Jimenez you know golf is still first and foremost a game of skill and Mm -hmm. um, you know Richard Bland ultimately over four days showed that he had more skill than the rest of us last week regardless of age and and um you know, the thing with Rich, I mean, I've played with him a few times over the years. In fact, I played with him when I first came out on a couple of kind of one-day events. And uh, I always thought he was such a really, really good and competent golfer. I mean, no weaknesses, really nice technique. And odd and striking, given that some of the players you see win on tour, even fairly regularly, you think, crikey, how have they done that? And then you get guys like Richard, who looks to me like he does everything very well and hasn't won. So it's um, winning, obviously, is a is a bit of a strange cat in and of itself, mm-hmm. and you require a little bit of luck always to win. But um, yeah, it's a bit of a surprise he hadn't won before. But, um, you know, he's a very good player, and, uh, and and it was good to see. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, is you know, I followed you on uh, on Twitter, of course, um, where you're very funny and, and, and popular, but I actually met you through Instagram, through your dogs, you know, Gus and Pip, right? You have yeah. an account there where your dogs do, and it's called uh, Gus and Pip, the pointers. And you reached out to me and I was like, now wait, okay. So this is Eddie or this is the dogs or who's typing this. And that's how we met. And then, um, you know, we kind of stayed in touch and worked on getting this dug, but this done, but uh, you got two cool dogs. Tell us about them. Yeah, that's just my burner account. I like to troll people from. Uh, <laughs> no, no, they're, they're um, well, I've never been into Instagram. Uh, I haven't got the face for it at all, the body. And um, so I, uh, when, when, when we got our second dog, me and my girlfriend decided we should maybe do the thing that seemingly everyone who owns two dogs does and, and set up an account. So, um, yeah, we, uh, and it's funny for me because I, I, I'm not, I never, I mean, I rarely go on Instagram, but I, I just found you through the search page. I think your post about Rory McIlroy, which you know I thought was a really fantastic post, and 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 the face-on images you showed of him at Impact from I want to say a couple of years ago to him now, and described how you know he's had some, well, how potentially that was the reasoning behind his struggles with his eye. Mm-hmm. I thought was it resonated with me because I've I've seen something fairly similar with my own game, and um, that kind of 
move movement pattern developing my own swing which i know has really caused me a lot of aggravation over the last couple of years specifically with my irons so um you know that was why i obviously contacted you just to say hey great post and uh, sent you some photos of me as well so um, yeah yeah so so here so it's all coming full circle now so the great play you're back playing well from the post about ricky or not ricky about uh rory mcelroy uh getting <clears> back and covering it and yeah i got a lot of feedback from that post because um you know, it's like, is that really what it is? I'm like, you know, I don't know what Rory's working on. I don't know Rory. I mean, I know his coach Pete a little bit. I've met Rory. I've actually played in a pro-am with him years ago, but you know, I'm not, we don't stay in touch. It was just an observation of when he was rolling really well versus, you know, his recent struggle, which he clearly is out of that now after winning over here in the States. Um, but it's pretty evident, you know, guys, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Guys who start going after more distance with a driver, you know, they'll back up some, some, you know, not always, but you see it a lot where the players take on more side bend to the right. I was just talking with Paul Tesori, the caddy for Webb. That was something he went through. I hear it all the time. And you could really see it with Rory. He was more back. He wasn't on top of it rotating. And uh, what a difference just going to that fade. So it's cool to see that uh, that's something that sounds like with your game that you, you think about quite often as well, perhaps with the irons. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, interestingly with me, uh, that didn't really come about for me through chasing distance. Um, I remember for me a few years ago, I, I had a, a problem where my um, my arms went from being quite deep in my backswing through 2017, 2018 to all of a sudden quite randomly creeping quite high and in front of me at the top of my backswing through 2019. And so then when as a player, um, even if you don't see that, you certainly feel it and you try to create the depth on the downswing. And mm. I was forever coming up with these drills in, a, in an attempt to create some depth artificially on the downswing so that then I could rotate into the ball, cover it and, you know, create a quite passive, consistent release. But ultimately for me, I found it impossible. And the only way I, I could eventually get there was to, from the top, bump my hips, bump my legs, you know, and ultimately then they're, they're shifting in front of your upper body and the upper body tips as a consequence. So, you know, it's a bit of a different story for me, how I ended up in a similar posi position to Rory. Um, mm -hmm. But nonetheless, I've ended up there. And, and as a consequence, yeah, you know, you have a slightly higher left shoulder impact, you know, not everything's aligned and, and the release becomes too flippy and, and you lose the control with your mid iron, short mid irons, which I still don't care what anybody says. If, if you're not on point with your, nine eight seven six iron you're going to struggle to shoot six seven eight under par and therefore yeah. you're going to struggle to win golf tournaments so there's such a crucial element of the game and um you've got to get it right but ultimately you know you've, you've got to get it from a deep position i think with rory you know i've never seen his backswing here his backswing has changed evolved over the years and occasionally it floats across the line but what he does such a great job of is maintaining the depth doesn't he in transition so that he can afford himself to, to mm -hmm. rotate real hard onto the ball so um it's no surprise to see he's fixed that pretty quickly because it never looked like it was that far away to me with him yeah you know and there's some players that's just the way they learn how to play like they you know like a Stuart sink phil mickelson these guys upright nature they kind of carry that lead wrist down extension and then they you know they kind of that's what they've done their whole career so they you know they know how to time it but when you're a player who maybe kind of falls into that late in your career that can be problematic and i think with rory he's he's clearly cleaned it up as he approaches the PGA championship. Yeah. Eddie, your best year, uh, a lot of stuff that I want to ask you, your, your best season, you won twice, 2018 on the European tour. Um, you were six in the open championship that year. How close is your game? Do you feel like right now, perhaps to when you were really rolling and clipping off some W's there in, uh, in 2018? 
Um, I think it's, well, I don't know. I mean, at times it feels like it's there and then at times it feels like it's a long way. I, I think for me, you know, I, what I've noticed of late, certainly this year is uh, I've been trying to find the thing that glues my sequencing together and I've very rapidly in rounds lost it. Um, and, and I hate that because it shows a real lack of resilience um, and robustness, which I think great technique ultimately is is the teller of. It's how robust is your your, your swing under tournament pressure through 18 holes. And, you know, mine simply hasn't been. So I think I've got a fair way to go. But um, the thing with me is, you know, the last 18 months, as as it's been strange for everyone during the pandemic, mm-hmm. for me in particular, I found it to be uh, far from ideal. I just haven't seen and I haven't exposed my game enough competitively. I haven't had that kind of feedback loop, you know, where you play one, two events, you look at you look at your game and you you reflect and you move forward. But now that I'm beginning to get that back, I, I suspect and I hope that I'll get it, you know, frankly, better uh, pretty quickly. Um, so it's tough to say, isn't it? I don't yeah. think I'm far away at all, but, uh, yeah. but um, you know, there's the odd shot in there, which still is a bit, is a bit, uh, for me in 2018, what I had going for me was I had a strong pattern shot pattern. I, and I very rarely hit the ball left. Mm. Um, you know, I built that into my game and took that through the beginning of 2019. And at times it infuriated me that I could barely draw the ball, but in hindsight, it was a blessing that I could never hit it left. And so there's so much to be said for an imperfect game, but one that takes one side out of the course, uh, one side of the course out of play, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You don't want to get ahead of yourself. Even when you're like trending, right. It's like, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I'm just, you know, you, like, you don't want it's one day at a time. It's a funny game that way. Cause you can feel so good, have a good warm up, go in and shoot, you know, a couple over par. It's like, where did that come yeah. from? So there's well, just, there's no guarantees in the game. No. And, and that's funny. I've always felt for me, I've played my best off kind of an average warm up. Mm. Um, the, the kind of warm up where you you have a feel where if you fully commit to, you hit the perfect golf shot but you hit the occasional one that's poor. And so you go out to that course knowing with absolute certainty, this is the feel I need to commit to on every single shot. And those invariably are the days where I think you play your best. If you go out there flushing it on the range, you can become complacent and and overconfident, which is never a good thing. (laughs) I got to ask you, you tweeted this while back, confirmed this. So when you finished six in the open, you were slightly hung over on the final day when you shot 67. Is that right? (laughs) Well, I woke up hungover. Um, I mean, though I had a bad Saturday, I I, uh, I still had a fairly late tea time. Um, I think it was in the 12th or 11th hour of the day. So I had enough time to recover a little bit. But, uh, you know, the thing is, it wasn't that uncommon of me back then. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't drink a lot, but I would certainly have two or three glasses of wine, maybe uh, certainly on a night where, I, you know, I really... I mean, and that Saturday I had a bad finish. I want to say I finished bogey, bogey or bogey mm. two of the final three holes and really felt disappointed and I lost my chance to win the Open. And I felt confident enough that I could win the Open off the back yeah. of a great result the week before. So um, there was a bit of disappointment and I did the honourable British thing and that is uh, straight to the bottle. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's playoff time, big stakes, bigger promotions. It's time to hammer the over and score some cash. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving... You a chance to lower the over under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over under on the game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on the select game, the over under will drop by one point. Every better who hammers the over in the featured game helps to lower the game's over under. The best part is that even as the line lowers, the odds remain at even money. That's right. You can double your money by hammering 
The over DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code Travis when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in the featured game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of the overhitting. So tell your friends and family, this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code Travis for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Let me ask you, so... On the European tour, you've, you've been over there for a while now, of course. That's that's where you live. You play the European tour full-time. But you've been over here in the States, too. Um, I mean, you had a nice run there. Speaking of after the Open in 19, you were third at the players right here in my backyard um, at the TPC. Uh, see, 51st of the Masters. I think you played in the RBC. You had a top 20 um, at the Heritage there. So you've been over here. You've roamed around PGA Tour in the States, obviously the European tour. Give me, in the audience, just a little feel. I don't know, the tone, the... The uh, environment, the attitude, just the difference between the PGA Tour and the European Tour um, and spending time on both. Um, I think uh, the events are definitely bigger and better in America, um, in, my, in my experience. But, you know, one thing we have in Europe is, is I think this makes a big difference. You know, in, in America, you, you arrive, you pick up your car. It's the first thing you do. And so straight away, every player is kind of separated from one another. And, and of course, it then, you know, it, it takes some kind of um, communication between players to at least stay mm-hmm. in the same spot to then create some, you know, an environment where you can at least socialize, let's say. In Europe, it's much different. And in Europe, we get one or two uh, often, you know, hotels that we generally all kind of stay at. There, there's usually courtesy cars or even buses. So um, straight away, there's an environment that's you know created whereby you just see more of one another, and, and naturally that creates more of a kind of a camaraderie, if you like, um, but certainly uh, companionship at times. So um, I think there's that which plays a big role, Travis. And you know, it's uh, other than that, I, I don't know. There isn't really much of a major difference. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, everyone's still very focused at all times. Um, but uh, as the and the younger generation, as you might expect, are generally more professional. They don't tend to, you know, we don't tend to to do the things that you know pros of yesteryear may have done. Right. Um, so there's that as well. Right. If I was if I was to come to Europe, and uh, there they are, right there. There's <clears throat> Gus and Pip in the background. They knew we were talking about them earlier. If I was to come to Europe. And I was going to kind of roll. We had a week off, right? And we were going to go play some golf, have some, have a good time. Who, who would, who would you recommend one or two guys that we were going to go out, have a you know, nice steak or something, uh, some wine, fun night, good conversation. Who, who are those two guys that I need to, I need to hook up with obviously beside yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'll, you'll have a good time if you um, spend some time with Mark Armitage, I would say, you, you know, you'll, you'll, <laughs> he's uh he's an interesting guy um he's pretty out there funny doesn't take himself seriously at all as i'm yeah. sure you are aware if you've seen some yeah. of his stuff jamie donaldson he's a good character um very fun uh character i will say um but other than that i can't, I can't think of any others i mean to be honest it's slipping yeah. my mind but those two guys you, you would you would uh you'd certainly find yourself laughing I'd no say. of course i would i'd be hanging with you as well um and you like red wine? Like, give us, give us, you know, kind of an idea. What wine uh, are you like? You kind of like a cab guy? You uh, Pinot Noir? What? What is it? Um, I'm 
as the time has gone on, I'm I'm almost just always Bordeaux now. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, when I started drinking wine, I remember thinking, yeah, new world, old world. You tried all. I thought I loved Malbec, and then um, okay, as I you know managed to uh, have a bit more success, and unfortunately enough, try better and better wines. I just dis- I discovered that actually the, the the wines from Bordeaux, generally speaking you know did, did enough for me so uh yeah the lower alcohol content i think goes better with me with the red wine and um anything from bordeaux generally speaking uh, is is a winner for me yeah let's go back to the let's go back to the golf game here for a second this is a distance era that we're in um you know all the discussion roll it back do this do that bryson obviously he's been on the forefront he's changed his body he's getting amped up like he's ready to run into a wwf wrestling ring to hit the ball yeah. as hard as he can um, is the distance as big of a topic over there with players and, you know, the rollback and things like that as it is over here in the States? Um, I don't know. Possibly not, to be honest. Uh, you know, for we don't have characters like Bryson, obviously, over here. But, um, you know, I've been trying to think a little bit about it and imagine what would happen if... Mm-hmm we did roll the ball back. I I think we could all agree, regardless of whether the ball's rolled back or not, there's definitely been a paradigm shift in favour of hitting the ball further. Mm-hmm. You know, gone are the days of believing that to be the best player in the world, you need to be the best putter. You know, it's now hit the ball a long way, first and foremost. And so I think as long as that paradigm shift remains, and I can't see it not, that you're going to have a breed of you young players come through who are trying to hit the ball further. That being said... In my opinion, if if the ball does get rolled back, and this is where the governing bodies could maybe, um, it could be quite interesting, is I always think with golf, and this is the beauty of golf, you have the relationship, the dichotomy between being a great driver of the ball and being a great mid-iron player. It seems to me that those are the two opposite those those are two opposite ends Uh, it's very very difficult in fact i would argue there's really i don't know of a single player in history who have mastered both of those things Mm -hmm. um i think of great mid-iron players and generally speaking i don't think they're tremendous drivers of the ball and i think of great drivers of the ball and generally i think they struggle with the mid-iron so if the governing bodies can find a way of creating the optimal kind of circumstances whereby enough tournaments you know we, we create this these conditions where you still got plenty of drivers but enough six seven eight irons then i think you're going to get enough diversity in terms of winners um that the game will still be interesting but it's a difficult thing to, to, to achieve isn't it and um you know i don't know how it happens but that's certainly what i would hope would happen yeah um, personally. yeah well let me ask you about this guy garrick higo he's won a couple of times right over yeah. there on the european tour and, and i watch you guys in the morning it's you know quite popular over here in the states we get to get up we get to watch the european tour and yourself and, and play um and then, of course, that kind of transitions into the final round uh, or, the, or the round on the PGA Tour in the afternoon. Um, but I've been watching Garrick, lefty, yeah, young South African player. I've been telling everybody here, I was like, man, this kid is good. I mean, he's, you know, he's long. He's, he can putt. Uh, how good is he? You've seen him firsthand. Yeah, I played with him in, in uh, Tenerife, I think, a few weeks ago when he won. He's really very good. Um, mm-hmm. As you say, you know, he, he drives the ball exceptionally well. What impressed me probably most was his short game and his mm. touch around the greens. You know, he had, he's the, he's the old, he's, he's the perfect modern player. He drives the ball 320 and he's got a lovely touch around the greens and he's good on the greens. You know, he hit a lot of, I would say average iron shots, but again, to the point I just made, 
in the modern game, there's not many mid-iron shots you've got to hit. So, um, you know, he's got the perfect game for it. And and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him kind of crack it even in the States, to be honest. Uh, yeah. He seems to have a very good attitude. He seems very level-headed. I don't think he's going to be too overall by whatever environment he finds himself playing in. So, you know, a very exciting young player for sure. Who was your, um, who was your idol growing up? Golfers, guys that you, you kind of looked up to when you were a young man. Um, well, obviously I grew up watching Tiger win everything, which was great, Mm -hmm. but I loved Sergio. Um, Sergio Mm -hmm. was always the guy I found myself rooting for. I loved the way he played. Um, something that's always, something about Sergio that's always just attracted me to him, to be honest. Uh, and, yeah, just a great, great ball striker, great iron yeah. player. Yeah, and he's in great shape right now. Geez, I've been watching him. I think this is the best shape he's been in his his entire career right now. Um, yeah, definitely put on some some muscle, and uh, yeah, hitting the ball is not Sergio's issue, right? I mean, he's he's still one of the premier ball strikers yeah. in the game. You look at um, some of these English players here. Uh, Justin Rose uh, is in the field, and uh, and Fleetwood, Tommy Fleetwood. You played a fair amount of golf with Fleetwood, haven't you? Yeah, I played a lot with Tommy growing up. Uh, he's always been a, a very, very good player. I mean, he lost his way a little bit a few years ago, but he's, he came back with a bang. Um, he seems to be going through a little bit of an, an interesting spell for him. I think, yep. you know, he was kind of on the brink of really, really breaking through, wasn't he? I mean, he is world-class, but you say breaking through in terms of winning majors. And he, he just seems to have fallen the other side of, you know, of that line at the moment. But um it's tricky, isn't it? Uh, I, I, yeah. He's never far away. He's such a great swimmer of the club, but um, maybe the part uh, might be his at times his his Achilles heel relative mm-hmm. to the the best players in the world. But uh, you know, it's he's still an exceptional offer. Yeah, you know, it's funny in the like gambling, golf gambling is really taken off, and yeah, you know, the guys that you know, there's you can certainly bet on the European Tour, you can bet on the PGA Tour, you can bet at the Corn Ferry Tour now. Um, it's funny over here in the States, like the gambling contingency, they love Fleetwood. I mean, they love him. Like they're just, you know, he's, uh, he's right there. He's right on the brink. He's going to, you know, it's like, and, uh, and he has gone through this little, little spell of sorts. Uh, he played good last week and, um, certainly coming in and short game looks like it's on point. And we know his iron game is usually pretty polished as a player over there in Europe. How big is this gambling uh, on tournaments yourself, head-to-head matchups, winning top twenties—you know all these different things that you can do. How much do you, how much do you think about that? Is, it, is that even a discussion in the locker room as, as a player? Well, no, it's not because we we get banned if if we're not allowed to do it, and and yeah. even even our families aren't allowed to do it. So um, you know, it's uh, yeah, we never really talk about it. But obviously, Britain as I mean, probably more than America, but certainly as much I would imagine is is a is a huge. Uh, has a huge gambling um, addiction, you might even call it. <laughs> Certainly interest. Um, so, you know, and golf, from what I understand, and I've never gambled, so I don't really know the intricacies, but from what I hear, golf is a great sport to, to bet on. There's so much opportunity. There's so much nuance in the game. So, um, yeah, it's, I suppose, monetarily and financially for people like myself who play it professionally, it's it's good. But uh, I always feel a little bit um, kind of, yeah, I never, never really want to say that because I know that people are gambling <laughs> yeah. their savings away, and so uh, act responsibly. Yes, yes, you don't want to be gambling your your savings away, but it's taken off. You know, fantasy golf's huge, but um, you know, just more of that. You know, him to win top twenty. It's the in game that's going to be huge, where odds are changing after every hole, um, and that's what's going to really 
I think, take off eventually. You can only, I think like DraftKings Sportsbook's only available in six states right now here. So it's, there's a ways to go. Yeah. But you can certainly see the steps being taken um, as a business. So for you, Eddie, what's, what's the next step um, for you? Your, your career, um, obviously full-time there in the European tour. Do you have aspirations to come over here and play more? Just kind of what's the next five years look like for you as a professional golfer? Um, it's really tricky to say. I mean, there, there's obviously still a lot up in the air. I mean, you guys are, are well, I would say, um, in a, in a, thankfully taking a slightly different approach to the whole COVID pandemic in the moment than we are. I mean, things are still very uncertain over here with regards to that. Travel seems to be a, a, a big uh, uncertainty. But in terms of my game, I, I feel like there's a, a bit of a restarting of my career. You know, it's um, it kind of stopped over the last 12 months. So I'm looking forward to getting back underway in many ways. I think I think the big thing for me this year is to play a lot of golf, play in Europe, and um, just try and get back on the horse competitively and uh, and rebuild my game back to where I believe it can be and, and should be. So once that happens, um, then yeah, you know, like in a few years ago, the opportunity might present present itself, and it probably would to, to come to America and play the majors and some of the WGCs and you know, the odd event here and there, like I did in 2019. The thing with me is I, I never, I don't see myself ever living in, in the US. So um, it would be difficult to imagine me playing in America full time. But again, that that would, uh, that has a number of, uh, you know, the, the, I should never say never. And, and there's a right. number of options on that front. So um, who knows, Travis, but I, I think for me right now, it's playing a lot of golf in Europe and mm-hmm. um, just, just really nailing that kind of, you know, competitiveness and, uh, and learning and getting a bit better again. Yeah. So over in Europe, um, the pandemic, of course, uh, a little bit different than it just even in the States over here and how, you know, from state to state it's, it's being handled, uh, Canada, even, uh, some even more lockdown up there, just North of our border, um, than what's happening here. Living in Florida, we've kind of continued to live our life obviously with caution, uh, but it's been a little bit more open here than certainly other states and other parts of, of the country. Let me take you to your Twitter here. Um, at uh, Pepperell Eddie, uh, you're pretty good at Twitter, Eddie. You know, I don't know if you know that, but uh, it's been it's been fun following you. <laughs> what do you what do you like about the old Twitterverse uh, when you when you pick up the phone and send something? Anything uh, really strike well, fire inside there? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it, some people take it's pretty. It's not it doesn't cost a lot to pay um, somebody to to do your Twitter for you. Um, I uh, no, I mean, I, I used to do it more than I. I think the pandemic brought the tone down a little bit for me. Um, but uh, once that moves on, then maybe I'll rediscover some uh, humour. But um, you know, I've never taken myself overly seriously, mm-hmm. overly serious. So um, I think that kind of trans it's a little bit across to my Twitter, but, um, you know, much of what I say on there historically should be taken as a joke. (laughs) Well, as you said in the pandemic, like you just, it's kind of taught you like, just be candid and you don't give a shit, right? Like you just put it out there. This is how I feel. And it's not for everybody. If you don't like it, then you unfollow. And if you like it, then, then you follow, right? That's kind of how, how Twitter should be. And, um, and it's refreshing. I think that's maybe why we were drawn to each other because I don't take myself that seriously either. And I think as you put things out there, you kind of find, wow, that dude's really serious or, you know, mm-hmm. he needs to chill out a little bit because, man, it don't take much. And all of a sudden you got a fire <clears throat> storm on Twitter, but uh, you're really yeah, good well, at I've, it. Yeah. 
I've gotten away. I've gotten away with some stuff over the years, um, and uh, you know, I've had phone calls and and I've had emails from people very high up at the European Tour, and okay. and, st- and my stomach has dropped on one occasion. So you know, I've never um, always gotten it right, and I think over time, as I look back, I'll certainly uh, realise that. Having said that, um, you know, it, it's an, often just an attempt at humour and nothing more than that. And, yeah. and you'll get it wrong sometimes and sometimes you'll get it right. And uh, that is what it is. And, you know, I mean, I'm reminded of the, the Ricky Gervais line from uh, uh, his stand-up in, I think it's Humanity, where he says, uh, you know, his rule with his brother was uh, win, lose or draw. You say it, win, lose or draw. And, and uh, I think once you take that step, and I've taken mm-hmm. that step enough times on my Twitter, you know, you it just becomes the norm for you and mm-hmm. and. And I think that's where maybe I do differ from most, in fact, probably all other golfers, certainly, and indeed other sports people. You know, I've I've been I've crossed that line enough that now there really there isn't no line for me. And, and people know that. But I think also, um, in a way, you know, that helps the other guys because they can kind of fall into my slipstream a little bit. And, and it, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of opens it up. But, uh, yeah, you know, but we'll see. I'm probably overthinking it. Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Improve your golf swing today. Pro-level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate. Within 2% of a $20,000 unit, the Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats and stores video with Shot Tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback data and creates a better practice environment not mindlessly hitting balls extremely portable cases about the size of a rangefinder and you know what you can use it both indoors and outdoors i love this launch monitor it's the rapsodo mobile launch monitor check it out at rapsodo.com r-a-p-s-o-d-o.com rapsodo.com well we need to get you on instagram more because it's a little safer play in instagram you know it's not it's not as you know liquid where it's just bump 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 you know you kind of have to it's more formulated you only post once or twice you have your story which is fun that's kind of where i run my business and um, yeah well i see the thing is with that is i think i would you know for me it's do you want to be on instagram and have an eating disorder or twitter and have depression and psychosis and i would always choose the latter so uh, you know i uh, i never want to jeopardize my relationship with food and wine uh, that's uh that's well said i don't think i can i'm not i'm not even going to attempt to elaborate on that instead i'm going to transition to the pga championship and finish up with this um any any leans here you got any names for me i'm you know i'm hey i'm, I'm i don't gamble my savings away but i am in the gambling space so i'm gonna write down these 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 picks that are coming from eddie pepper over here for the pga championship yeah. so a few things so i just saw the leaderboard from 2012 on twitter and i want to say there was six or i think there was six europeans in the top 10 or top 12 yes, yes. which is which is interesting um i uh, i saw the weather forecast from paul mcginley posted and it was light to kind of you know lightish winds so we're not going to expect anything too crazy on the breeze front um i mean i played with sam horsefield last week and he said that he was a cure last week and and he he said the course was absolutely brutal in the wind Mm. so i think you know john rahm said it lends itself to great ball striking you've got to look for the great ball strikers to me Mm -hmm. Uh, i think you've got to look at some of the european guys as well on that front so rory clearly coming into form sergio john rahm 
Tommy mentioned him already. Yep. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see him there or thereabouts. But uh, I kind of like I'm, Matt Wallace. Yeah, Matt's been playing great, hasn't he? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he would be a very good uh, good shout for sure. And, and I think the fact that it's open and exposed and the wind might pick up a little bit, you, you've got to look for guys who can flight, flight the golf ball ultimately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're looking for some good ball striking and some, and some uh, you know, flary type players. But names, it's always difficult to say. I mean, I've mentioned yeah. a lot of it. That's a very Eurocentric view there, wasn't it? Um, but <laughs> yeah, that's, you good. Know, that's, that's good. That's, that's what you've yeah. got me on for, right? Yeah, to, that's uh, right. I love yeah. this. This is this is what it's about. It's funny you say all this because I, I thought the same thing when I looked at 2012. And uh, I, I really like Matt Wallace. I mean, he's been playing brilliant over here uh, in the States. Uh, and what a beautiful swing, too. It's been fun here this spring watching him again. I, I forgot just how fluid and just terrific his golf swing is. Um, it's been, it's been really, it's been really cool to watch. I have Matt Wallace over Tommy Fleetwood in a head to head. So anyway, that's perhaps that's just me out. Perhaps that's just me lashing out to the industry and their love for Fleetwood. Cause I love Fleetwood too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd love to have a glass of wine with Tommy too. I mean, he's, he seems like he's a terrific guy and Shane Lowry, I think is a little bit of a sleeper. You know, a little yeah, bit that's, of a sleeper. Uh, that's a that fair dude point. is the I best, mean, isn't he? Shane Lauer's a great dude. Yeah, he is. He's a good guy. <laughs> he's, um, yeah, good guy. He's, he's, well, he's Irish. You know, generally yeah. speaking, rule of thumb, Irish are the best people on the planet. So, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did it when he, after he won the Open. I, I drove down to uh, – this was right before COVID started. Uh, I met him for a Golf Digest shoot down in, in PJ National, and we did a shoot, and I spent the day with him and interviewed him for Digest and – God, he was just like he was he was exactly what I thought he would be, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. just a funny, fun, lighthearted um yeah. guy. And it would just we just had like the best day and it was because of him. I mean, he was just he just made the whole atmosphere really, you know, really comfortable to be around. And this is a guy, you know, he just won the open. Um yeah. well, he just didn't we just just at that point, he was the open champion. Um, yeah. so anyway, he's yeah, these these uh these Irish, these guys are they're the real deal. They're funny, they're fun to be around. Yeah, they are. They are. And he's a real shot maker, so I wouldn't at all be surprised, especially if the wind got up a little bit, uh, to see someone like him. Um, mind you, it's, it's a long course, isn't it? So driver yeah, it is. is going to still be a very important club. Um, so it's going to test everything. So who knows? There, there's a lot of very brilliant golfers uh, on that golf course, so it's really possible to say, I would, I would imagine. You know, another another Irish guy that maybe you probably know is Patty, right? Harrington. And mm-hmm. so that's one guy that I've wanted to get to know because he's like – he is a deep thinker on the golf swing and he mm. posts his videos on Instagram. That's why you got to come on there and watch. Um, and you know, he's just a, he, he's just a tinker, you know, and he's has all these thoughts and ideas and I want to get him on and I want to pick his brain about all of these things that go through his head about full swing and short game and all these things. Uh, yeah. he's just a trip. I love following him and listening to him. Yeah. You know, he, he, um, he said something so good once when I was an amateur, we, we had a day with him for some Walker cup training and he said something that I'll never forget. And, and I'll remember even more because even he couldn't um, stick to the very thing he said. And he, he said, your ability to do the mundane day in, day out will determine how good you become. Mm. I remember he said that I wrote it down and I thought, wow, that seems quite profound. And as I've gotten older, I've thought that's absolutely spot on. You know, as you play this game more and more, you know what works, but it's your ability to keep doing it and not get too bored by it and just keep keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But it does become mundane. And and here's a guy who couldn't achieve the very thing that he had worked out. And, and I thought that's golf in a nutshell. You know, it's yeah. uh, 
he described the, 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 the beauty of the game and yet the difficulty of the game all in itself and, and is someone who has figured it out and, and kind of at the same time not, if you know what I mean. Not, not yeah, yeah. in a critical way, but it's just um, you forget what you learn. And uh, he, he's, he's brilliant. I've always loved playing with Paddy, um, mm. for sure. Yeah, he, he's on my list. Uh, he's on the short list for me. If I had to come over like that, I, I want to hang with that guy. Um, mm. But he's, you know, he obviously he's over here a lot too. But anyway, with, with, uh, with, with Patty, um, gosh, I'm drawing, I'm drawing a blank on another Irish uh, player. Um, anyway, I'll come back to it. Eddie, um, PGA championship, got the open championship coming up, uh, U.S. Open next month. And then the open championship um, after that. So right now, your status of getting into one of those two, how does it look? Well, it's possible for both. Um, we have like a mini order of merit over here going for the US Open. Um, having said that, as strange as this might sound, even if I qualified for the US Open, I'm not entirely convinced I would travel to play in it um, okay. because I have a very busy run after it. And I just have this sense that that I need to focus heavily at the moment on on all these European events. Um, but that that may change. But the Open as well, they've just opened up two spots actually at the Scottish Open. So, okay. uh, you know, guys who do very very well in the Scottish who aren't exempt will get in. So um, there's an opportunity there. So there, there's a pathway, but um, it's uh, it's limited, it's slim. But uh, we'll see. You know, I mean, yeah. I got in the Open at Carnoustie through my good finish at the Scottish the week before, and okay. and so uh, you know, good things good things can obviously happen on that front. Indeed, I would you know, I'd love to play the Open at St George's for sure. Well, um, you're and, coming on. Yeah. Go ahead. No, well, well, and also, the, you know, they're hoping to have crowds back. Was all I was going to say, but uh, it would be nice. You know, I think, I think if 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 it goes ahead with full crowds in the UK, that the the atmosphere will just be uh, absolutely incredible. You know, we haven't had anything here like that. So, um, it would be great if it does go ahead with full with full crowds. Yeah, what a difference um, mm -hmm. it's been over here. Just to see, you know, five five thousand, eight thousand people all yeah. kind of congregating around it. It feels like at the PGA, just these practice rounds I was watching, it felt like there was a decent amount of people out there. Um, yeah. There was a hockey game playoff game here last night. It was a full crowd. It was just, it was strange to, to sit there and watch and listen and feel like my hair was standing up. I had goosebumps just feeling the energy actually coming through the TV for the first time in, in, yeah. in so long. So it's, yeah. it's, it's gotta be tough as a player. It really does. Well, you know, sport needs it. I mean, it's not just sport. I mean, this goes back to, you know, when people used to fight in coliseums, you know, this is the whole point. This is performance and and you need people, you need atmosphere. And without it, you could have the best performance professionally, but it will have very, very little to no impact because the, the atmosphere and the crowd makes the makes the event, in my opinion. And, and we've definitely discovered that during the pandemic, I think, if we've discovered one thing. Um so, uh, yeah, you know, we're desperate for I mean, I turned the TV on last week or two weeks ago in Spain and the Champions League semi-final was on and Chelsea yeah. were playing Real Madrid and they were playing at a training ground in, in Real Madrid because the Bernabeu was under construction with no crowds. And I thought, here's the Champions League semi-final, um, which is soccer over here, but, but you know, soccer and you, you, your guys' mm -hmm. language, but um, supposedly two of the biggest teams in the world in front of them. It just felt completely wrong. Mm -hmm. And um you know, I find it unwatchable. So just to have some crowds back and I love what's happened in Florida and Texas, what you guys have done because you've, you've brought that back and um, you're frankly, I think rewarded for it. And uh, I hope we all pull our fingers out and do something similar soon enough and stop, <laughs> stop, stop worrying so much. You know? Yes, that's exactly right. 
It, it really is. You got to live, but you got to do it with caution, right? Wear the mask, mm-hmm. do your thing. Although it was just lifted here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still a few places that are doing it. But um, yeah, it's a real thing. Even Rory talking about it after his win. Um, it just makes sense. I mean, Rory, Tiger, these guys, uh, they're used to playing in front of thousands of people and all of a sudden there's no one there and you're looking around and you're like, damn, I didn't realize that I needed this to actually bring forth my best concentration level and effort because that's all they know. I mean, that's what they've been doing um, their whole career. Let me, let me ask you this. Is it, you know, you you go back to your comment about um, what Patty said to you about being, you know, mundane and it's, it's kind of boring, isn't it? being a professional golfer at times, right? I mean, like you sit there and you're hitting balls and you're doing the same thing over and over and over. Like it's, it's all about rep, like do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. You know, it's like, and there's no one around and like you, you go back to your hotel and like it's, it can be kind of lonely, right? Like you have to really learn to, to spend time by yourself, <laughs> you know, both sure. at work and away from work yeah. when you're traveling. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and you know, it takes a certain type of character. You, you have to be comfortable in your own mind and you have to be comfortable dealing with disappointment pretty frequently, you know, because most days on a golf course are going to be frustrating and uh, often disappointing. And you're going to have spells through a career where it's very frustrating and could grind you down. So um, you've got to know, you've got to be able to deal with that and, and put that into some kind of perspective. With regards to the, the boring part, you know, I often think there's this sweet spot where, you know, you may you may not quite have it, but then you you get it, you figure it out, you're working on something for two weeks, three weeks, and you you reach this kind of sweet spot where your performance is fantastic. You're waking up every morning, you feel very calm because you know everything you're about to execute, you have complete control over, and you know it's going to give you a pretty good result. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a good result can become a great result if the cards fall the right way, let's say. But you're you're going you're in complete control, and that sweet spot lasts for different lengths of time for different people clearly but you know you it that's such a golden spot to to live in um and it doesn't when you lose it it's very very difficult to get it back um and it does at some point although it feels great and you feel comforted by the fact that you're in complete control it quite quickly does become a bit boring and and you get that sense of where it does become mundane so um you got to try and find a way of freshening it up yeah yeah without you know, losing sight of what the mo- what you figured out, which is ultimately important. And to go back to something you mentioned earlier about Pete Cowan with Rory's coach, yeah, that was something I've worked with Pete, and and it didn't okay. go very well when I worked with Pete, admittedly. But I do think Pete's one of Pete's big skills is is he has so much knowledge uh, and different feelings that he can give a player, um, which ultimately achieving trying to achieve the same thing but gives just this tiny little difference in terms of feel or sensation and that can you know i often describe his coaching as being a bit like the cherry on top of the cake you know um hmm. that makes yeah. sense so you, yeah you gotta you gotta keep sweetening things up a bit who, who do you who do you work on who do you work with now do you have any coach or yeah well i actually work with pete's assistant uh mike, oh, you do? Okay. mike I've been on and off with Mike for years. Um, yeah. And I also work with another guy called, uh, believe it or not, Simon Shanks is his name. Uh, so yeah. not the best name for a cop coach. <laughs> I know, I know, shake it off. <laughs> but um, he's, uh, I worked with him a lot through 2018 and a okay. bit through 2019. So uh, no, I, I, I work with two coaches. The thing with me is I'm quite individual and I know I have a pretty strong sense of what I do and don't want to feel and how I want to play the game. I'm a bit of a poison chalice, I think, for a coach, but uh, I seek both their advice, really. Mm. Yeah, the the, the player-coach 
relationship is interesting. I get it all the time. Like, why don't you, why don't you go out? Why don't you want to go out there and coach with the players? I ran the TPC Sawgrass Academy forever. And that's kind of my trade is, is teaching and coaching. And I, I don't do it as yeah. much anymore because of the media platforms and I enjoy doing this, but it's like, it's just not for me. Like I didn't, I don't mm-hmm. feel like I could get that peace of mind traveling all of the time working with one or two players. You know, I, I do some things long distance, but I don't never kind of put myself out there to travel because I just don't feel like, you know, that was for me. And going back yeah. to a lot of the things that you were talking about as a player um, and the challenges that you have, but man, like Pete Cowan and, you know, Butch and these guys, they have just put in so much time and uh, I got a lot of yeah. respect for him because I know how hard, I know how hard they work out there. And it's, yeah. It's a lot of disappointment for the coach too, because it doesn't always work out, you know, with, with players. And it's really inevitable oftentimes before they, they get fired. I mean, it's just going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. You're you're dead right. You know, and, and listen, I mean, believe it or not, you're, you're, you're dealing with a lot of psychopaths, you know, we we are not straightforward people. And, 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 uh, you know, I I recall when I won the British masters, (laughs) the end of 2018, I walked off, I walked off the course and said to my coach, Simon, thank you. You've, you've, you've given me some great coaching. I, I hit a driver up the last and I said to him, that was because of you. I said, that's great coaching. You've given me a new shot. I've won a golf tournament with that shot. Thank you. It's like, that is the ultimate from a coach, in my opinion. And, and well done. Nine months later, I've left him. And it's like, you know, how do you reconcile those two things? If you're a rational mind, if you're a rational person, which coaches invariably are because they're not, you know, like us, they're not on the course getting frustrated, angry, hacked off, and frankly, just a bunch of little sociopath, you know, monkeys running around throwing clubs. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it's um, yeah, I don't blame you for not wanting to do it. I mean, it's, uh, you're dealing with a bunch of nutters, really. I, I just thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, I you know, I um, I had a couple of players when I was there, and they were a little bit older and, and whatnot, which is fine. Cause I didn't travel as much with them. But even then it was, you know, I was like, damn, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Like mm-hmm. I kind of find myself thinking about other things and wanting to do other things. This being one of them, I don't think that's fair to the player. And, you know, so it's like, I'm just not wired to be mm-hmm. doing that every single day, all day through one or two players. I have a lot of respect for those mm-hmm. that do it. And it's amazing the business and where it's going. Um, I just, I'm, amazed at the the specialization of the sport now um mm. you know and i was talking with dr brett mccabe on the podcast last week and he said travis he said the teams are going to get bigger the teams for the players are getting bigger there's going to be an east coast coach west coast coach coaches that specialize putting in bent bermuda he's like that's where this is going i'm just like damn that's mm. that's amazing you know to to think that that all of that specialization is happening. And at the end of the day, though, I still think there's some value in it, but at the end of the day, man, you got to get up. The player has to hit it. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, Eddie's got to hit it at some point and find it and react and deal with his emotions. And like, you know, you can talk technique and this and that, but man, it just, it just feels, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to learn. Yeah. Um, but is it being overdone, you know, like well, from a coaching standpoint? Yeah, no, it's an interesting concept. I've always found the idea of 1% a 
very interesting. You know, yeah. it became a big thing over here when England won the Rugby World Cup in 2003. And we had a coach, Sir Clive Woodward, who really brought the kind of 1% mindset mentality. And one of the coaches in that team was a guy called Dave Allred, who mm. took, you know, who helped take Luke Donald and Francesca Molinari to really great heights in golf. So clearly there is a role to be played for those types of coaches. But I always maintain that, especially in a game like golf, which is such a skill-based game, you know, you've got to have the first 80 to 85%. And frankly, if you are not in control of the bulk, the majority, that 80%, you can forget about focusing on the 1%. You know, I see guys down the range who might be focusing on the gym or, or their diet or something like that. And, and I look at some of the positions they're in in their swing and I think, well, you could eat, you know, you could not eat a piece of sugar. You could not have any sugar for a year, but you're not going to break 70 on the European tour. It doesn't matter. You know, you might think you're dealing with the 1% or even the 0.5%, but you're not nailing the crucial part of the game that the Tyrrell Hattons get right, that the people like Patrick Reed get right. You know, these guys who may not look like they're focusing always on the 1%, but they're just brilliant golfers and they're dealing day in, day out with the fundamentals. And you can never, ever, ever lose sight of that. And, uh, and I really still maintain that if you get the basics right, mostly, you know, you, and you've got some talent and you're going to sugarcoat it in a great way and you're going to be, you're going to have success, but yeah, you know, well, you're the genius. I mean, the player is the genius. And I think there's a lot to the saying of protecting the genius of the player. And, mm-hmm. and I think as a coach, like that's, what I think some players do better than others. I think the method-based coach, like they kind of get into their own silo of maybe who they could really help because they don't really apply to a lot of others. Um, but uh, the genius of the player and protecting that, and I think that's what, you know, Butch and probably some of the most successful teachers have done is, mm-hmm. you know, they have a wide range of swings. And I tell like Justin Parsons that, who's a, a, a coach over here, um, who's mm-hmm. from yeah. Europe. Yeah, Irish, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, Irish. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, he's exactly. He's Irish, and um, and Justin and I are good friends. And and I, I said, like, I'm not blowing any smoke up you. I just, I said, but I appreciate how you go about your craft. You have a wide range of players. They all swing differently, and and you you can see you can see them moving forward too as players. Mm-hmm. So I, I to me, that's the essence of coaching. Um, and I think where it's going for the skill of like Justin is he's going to be the head coach. <laughs> and then there's going to be all this specialization perhaps mm-hmm. that's going to start mm-hmm. coming underneath it. Very similar to Jamie Mulligan in the way that he runs some of his teams. Um, Luke yeah. list is his player and Patrick Cantlay and things like that. So yeah. it's, um, it's fascinating, man. It really is a big business. It's fun to watch. And um, yeah. I, uh, I know you're busy. I could talk to you forever, Eddie. I mean, I'll go, I'll go get a bottle of wine right now if you want me to. I mean, it's, 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 uh, I mean, it's almost 11 here. I don't care. I have, I have no shame. <laughs> no, I've, uh, I've already done half a bottle. Don't worry about it. Um, no, it's really, I'm not really not, but I'm trying to catch some sun. I mean, we, we've, got, okay. we've got, that's as much sun as we get in England. Well, go outside, um, Eddie, go outside. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast, man. This has been great. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Good to, good to chat. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero 
X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 